Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 415, A Divine Word. This is the first of a two-part teaching on the beatitude, Blessed are the Peacemakers. We're going to learn that peace is a reflection and expression of the reality of Christ himself. In a number of ways, I have been finding each beatitude successively more challenging, which I didn't really anticipate three months ago when I started to look at this. Now, from the beginning of this series, uh, we've embraced the, the view, the framework of many church fathers. For example, uh, St. Gregory, uh, St. Chromatius, and others. But their view that the structure of the Beatitudes is like a ladder that leads us uh, further up and into closer relationship with Christ. And they insist, and I agree profoundly now, um, after being in this for, for me nearly three months, he, Christ is using these Beatitudes to call us up to him. So let's just review them. And, and I know that uh, for some, especially in the, the house church, I've encouraged to, to, um, to begin to memorize these. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land or the earth, depending on your translation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice or righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We spent a lot of time on that last week. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, which is where we're parked right now. Uh, the, the last beatitude is blessed are those who are persecuted uh, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me start with a quote from St. Gregory. All that the divine word, Christ, all that the divine word has so far laid down, by that he means the previous Beatitudes, is indeed perfectly holy. But what we are now invited to contemplate is truly the holy of holies. Before we can go into this Beatitude, or at least before I'm prepared to, <clears throat> I think we need to look behind us, look down the ladder at the various rungs. And as I've thought a lot about this this past week, I'm aware of the personal challenges that they present. I'm not going to list them all. But I want to just share some of, of my own process in the Beatitudes. Blessed uh, are the peacemakers takes me back to blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, because truly facing what it means to be a peacemaker confronts me with my own great lack. By the way, if I say peacekeeper tonight, it's a mistake. It's peacemaker. And the only reason that that would come out of me is I'm a Canadian. And we have been inundated with uh, the fact that we are, as a nation, our military, we are uh, in the role of peacekeepers. But it's peacemakers, and there's quite a difference. So, I am facing 
I'm facing my own great lack, my poverty of spirit. The second one, blessed are those who mourn. My sense of sadness and mourning has not decreased since I first talked about this two months ago. In fact, it has deepened. It just keeps getting deeper and deeper, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Today in the U.S., this afternoon, um, we, I say we, the U.S. is my adopted country. I live in New Mexico. Today in the U.S., we passed 100,000 deaths. In fact, when I checked before supper, it was 100,549. This, this past Memorial Holiday weekend seemed absolutely surreal to me. When I looked on the television and I, I saw um, wreaths being laid at military cemeteries that were absolutely deserted, um, uh, I saw empty streets where they, some of the towns still ran their Memorial Day parade because they do that every year, but there was no one there. And yet at the same time, like you, many of you, uh, I saw so much footage of beaches absolutely packed, of bars packed, restaurants, streets. Um, it's, 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 uh, innumerable crowds of people who have chosen uh, to ignore, I would say rebel against, but renore, re, uh, ignore the restrictions in many of their states that are put in place to save lives. This has made me mourn. More and more of us have either had a loved one die or we know someone who has had this happen. I'm mourning for not seeing so many people who are dear to me, uh, not being able to, to get on a plane and fly to my family. I am mourning uh, because my mother has for 10 weeks had to stay in her small one-bedroom apartment without any human contact, not able to come out because that's how tight the lockdown is. She said to me last week, I am starting to feel very old. I hope she wouldn't mind me saying that. But that's just a reflection of, of the effect of this, this season we're in. And I'm mourning over it. I am mourning and so are you. I'm finding some of the, some of the promised comfort of this second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. I'm finding some of the comfort through our global house church. Um, I love that some of you are actually starting to build community with one another. People you didn't even know existed six weeks ago, you're now getting in touch with and beginning to share your lives with. Uh, I'm very encouraged with that. But I'm mourning. Blessed are the meek. One of the key characteristics of the meek is patience. And, and we are learning with various degrees of success, we're learning to be patient in a situation that is beyond our control. I've been thinking about this quite a bit the last couple of days. I think that two of the greatest ways that God has of teaching us and transforming us come through sorrow and through the realization that we are not in control. In the midst of this pandemic, we've been needing to be patient. But I also need to be patient when I'm frustrated or saddened 
by what is going on around me. You know, it's, I'm just going to be transparent. Maybe it's my temperament. Maybe it's all those decades of pastoring people. I don't know. But it's all too easy for me to, to sound meek and gentle um, to others, to put that on, on the outside, when on the inside, which after all is my real self, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling frustrated. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after justice or righteousness, depending on your translation. This may be the hardest rung on the Beatitudes ladder for me. We live in a time where too many of our leaders take no responsibility for their actions. It's not my fault. I didn't know. I didn't make that decision. In my adopted country, where I live, where three of my four children and their families live, where I have uh, had, as I grew up, almost as many aunts, uncles, and cousins on, on the American side of the border as the Canadian. But you know the reality is that in, at this time here, a disproportionate number of blacks, Hispanics, and natives have been infected by the COVID-19 virus. Disproportionate, wildly disproportionate to the general population. This is about injustice. It is about economic and social injustice. It is about the, the infection is largely a result of, of, of just our systems which are unequal. I said to you several weeks ago, when we read the Gospels, we equate ourselves, we think of ourselves as being with the Jewish people in first century Palestine, but it's not true. We're the Romans. We're the ones on top. We're the ones in control. We're the ones who have enough. You know, I'm just being really honest of what I'm having to deal with in order to get to this beatitude uh, that we're going to do tonight. Maybe you don't have to deal with the same things. Uh, I think you might be aware that on the very same day, South Korea and the U.S. had their first COVID case, the same day. South Korea immediately set up national testing and a lockdown, and it was followed by tracking the same day. They have had 269 deaths so far. And in the U.S., our leaders did nothing for weeks and told us everything would be okay. And today, as I said, we passed the 100,000 deaths, fatalities. 400 times more deaths per capita, per capita than South Korea. What I just said to you is not a partisan issue. It is a justice and mercy issue. 
because um, I know that what I normally uh, do is I avoid. I avoid uh, what could be considered politics. But what I just told you is not political. No matter what your uh, party affiliation, what I just told you are the facts, the numbers. This is what happened. And tonight I'm seeking to be transparent about how these beatitudes, this ladder toward Christ, are deeply affecting me. Blessed are the merciful. I need to be merciful even when that is a hard choice. But it is a choice that I can and must make. Even when people I love are wrestling with the position of, of, of the, their world, the people around them, uh, dear, dear, dear friends of mine shared with pain how the, the pastors in their region said, we're, we're not going to follow the guidelines. We're going to open up our church anyway. And, and they were just dealing with the pain and the confusion of that. And uh, that they said, we're not going to follow the safety guidelines. And, and these dear friends of mine just phoned in, in turmoil. What they're saying is, nobody can take our liberty away. This is our right. We're all hearing it on the news. Uh, they're saying they are trampling our rights and our liberties. But for the follower of Jesus, our lives are built upon canonic love, not our liberties. I uh, just about an hour and a half ago, I was walking and praying, and I texted my friend Brad Jerzak on this very point. And let me read to you what he sent me back. What is our highest Western 21st century uh, moral value, freedom, which is a euphemism for self-will. Is it freedom or is it love? Canonic, self-giving, other-centered love. Freedom has come to mean my will be done. The Beatitudes undo this from the very start. As usual, he said it succinctly and powerfully. Blessed are the pure in heart. We talked about this last week. Purity of heart is about what is on the inside. And I, as I said last week, I can only find purity of heart through time spent with Jesus, pressing into him with complete honesty. Purity of heart is essential if I will become a peacemaker for it must be done honestly. Now I want to say to you, and in a moment I'm going to start the next beatitude. But friends, we must not rush ahead on these beatitudes. <clears throat> Excuse me. If we choose to rush ahead then we're choosing to not let them challenge and change us. We're choosing to live our lives on the surface. We're choosing to be satisfied with the Christian status quo and our own personal status quo. The Roman world was not turned on its head 
by superficial or conditional Christians. It was turned on its head, and the powers, the principalities and powers that were behind Rome were turned on their head by deeply committed followers of the Jesus way. So, I wanted to just be as transparent as I could. And if I'm going to to be a peacemaker, it has to be authentic. And no wonder it's a ladder. And I've got to keep working on each of those rungs of the ladder if I'm going to get to this place, which St. Gregory, as I said to you, called the Holy of Holies. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Let me begin with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The peacemakers will carry the cross with their Lord, for it was on the cross that peace was made. So why is Jesus talking about peace? So before we look at what a peacemaker is, we need to understand the significance of peace to Jesus' listeners. And I would say, for all those with ears to hear, the significance of peace for us. Did you know that the Bible uses the word peace 249 times? It is a central theme in the Scripture. Every Jew knew to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. For the Jews, peace was the messianic expectation. Um, Isaiah 9-6, which we know usually from our Christmas pageants. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Every Jew would have heard That passage again and again and again throughout their life. Let me give you another one. Zechariah 9. We were in Zechariah 9 a couple of weeks ago. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Greatly rejoice, rejoice, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Blessed are the meek. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. He shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So peace is important uh, because... Just its frequency in the scripture. It's a theme all the way through. Secondly, it's this messianic expectation. Thirdly, Paul began almost every one of his letters with a peace blessing. Again and again and again, grace and peace be unto you. In Romans uh, 10, 15, he quoted Isaiah when he said, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. That's Romans 10, 15. This is fascinating to me. One of the early verses I learned many, many years ago was Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace is the activity of the kingdom. It's what marks the kingdom. Therefore, Paul says, follow after it, pursue peace. By the way, the writer to the Hebrews said the same thing in chapter 12, verse 14. Fourthly, we see peace in the liturgy of the early church. Uh, from the early church right through to today, uh, there are many peace prayers said uh, in their liturgy. Let me just read you one from uh, uh, St. John Chrysostom. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the stability of the holy churches of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. So from the, the Old Testament, from the Gospels, the New Testament writers, the liturgy of the church, we see what peace is. Peace is not an idea. It's not a principle. It's not a theory or a concept or a program. Peace is the reflection and expression of the reality and presence of Christ himself. He is the king of peace. So, that's why peace is important. Let's look at the words, the two main words for what is peace. The first one is one that probably all of us know. Shalom. It's the Hebrew word. And it means so much more than peace. Once again, we're caught with a, the, the, the poverty of the English language to contain a single Hebrew word. But it means this. Uh, it, it, means, um, uh, it means perfect welfare. It means serenity, prosperity, happiness, harmonious relationships. It's a full word that was absolutely central to Jewish life. Part of their greeting every day. But also, you may not know this, but shalom represents a picture of a circle. It reflects communal well-being in every direction. The Hebrew concept is, is that of creating a circle that embraces the entire community. To bring peace was to bring community. Isn't that interesting? The Greek word, irene, uh, means ultimate and complete blessing. It's really interesting in Luke 10 where Jesus sends out the 72. He tells his disciples that their first action in a new community at a new house should be a blessing of peace. Isn't that interesting? In his farewell discourse in John 14 to 16, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not uh, give to you as the world gives. That's John 14, 27. What's he mean? He means this is a supernatural peace because it comes from a supernatural source. So there's a little bit of an overview of the of the core of this beatitude, which is peace. So, who are peacemakers? He said, blessed are the peacemakers. I'll start by saying what it isn't. 
Peacemaking is not being nice or tolerant. It is not appeasement. This is huge. Peacemaking is not passive. It is active engagement with parties that are in conflict, sometimes even warring. Peacemaking requires courage and conviction. Peacemakers are disciples who reach out to heal and to forgive. They sometimes, peacemakers, find themselves reaching out to the very people or groups of people that society tells us to ignore or avoid. Peacemaking is a divine work. Hear this. It is a divine work. God is the author of peace and reconciliation. Colossians 1, 19-20 For in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. How? By making peace through the blood of his cross. Peacemakers are children of God because they are seeking to do what the Father has done through the gift of his Son. Here's a terrific quote, again, by John Christostom. For in fact, this was the crucial work of the only begotten, to bring together things divided and to reconcile the alienated. Right to the point. This is the crucial work. God loves reconciliation. He always moves through willing children to bring peace and reconciliation to the world. He moves through his children. that They will be called the children of God. Now, peacemaking does not pretend that there's no differences. Um, it Instead, peacemaking creates a place. We're back to that circle image that we got earlier from uh, Hebrew culture. It creates a place of love, acceptance, forgiveness. The differences are still there, but they are transcendent, and they become less important. You know, very often, peacemakers are not coming against truth, but opinion. Often in my role as a pastor, for all those years, issues that at the time seemed so important that people could get so upset about, after time, looking back, I think we would often wonder, what were we upset about? What were we disagreeing about? It, it's, it's no big deal. It's important for me to remember, as a peacemaker, in my interactions with others, with whom I may disagree, or, let me say that again. 
It's important for me in my interaction with others, just as a, as a disciple of Christ with whom I disagree, or if I find myself in the role of peacemaker, to ask myself some key questions. One, am I simply trying to justify or vindicate myself? Or another one, am I just trying to get my own way in a given situation? If so, that's when I really need to go back to the third beatitude. Blessed are the meek, the humble, the gentle. Jesus never said, blessed are those who prefer peace, who wish for peace, who wait for peace, who love peace. He blesses makers of peace. Again, this requires an active, intentional role. Peacemakers often find themselves surrounded by those who wish that they probably would just keep quiet. Just let let it lie, which really means let it fester. Our peacemaking to these folks, seems anything but peaceful. We need to recognize that there is a lot of invisible pressure against peacemakers. Peacemakers are sometimes those who cut across social convention. You need to also remember what I told you a few minutes ago, God is always about peace and reconciliation. Therefore, the the dark powers are always against what makes for true peace. Because of this pressure, we're tempted to try to get rid of conflict without eliminating the factors that create division. I know I'm talking to people tonight from a number of different nations. And if you think historically, I love history, but if you think historically, the powers that be and the the ruling social structures are most likely to say, just settle down. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Let's just let it go because they don't want to face the factors that create division. This can be at a national level. This can be in our church. This can be in our family. So to do so, to just say that's all right, we won't really deal with the factors, is to be like the Old Testament prophets. I've just been reading through just finishing Jeremiah and how the Old Testament prophets would would easily proclaim peace, peace, when there is no peace. I might say the same for some modern-day prophets, too. Peacemakers give themselves to creating, to facilitating just communities. This may be at the level of your church. It may be in a village or a region or sometimes even a nation. They see the connection, peacemakers, 
See the connection between justice and mercy. I have always found them very, very closely connected. There's a rather famous quote by Pope John Twenty-Third. He said, if you want peace, seek justice. If you want peace, seek justice. See, peacemakers are not passive. They don't just ignore things. This week's episode is brought to you by our annual Double Your Impact campaign. This year, Friends of the Ministry have pledged $60,000 in matching gifts. This means that every time you go to impactnations.com give and make a donation, your dollars will be doubled, which means we can rescue even more lives together. We have until December 31st to reach our goal of $60,000, and again, that's going to be matched up to a maximum of $120,000 this year. I'm happy to say that uh, just before recording this, I checked, we're already at over $46,000, so we're getting so close to our goal. You know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, that when you give to Impact Nations, you are rescuing lives, you are changing people's future. Through clean water, skills and business training, or just food for the hungry, you are bringing hope to those who so desperately need a tangible expression of Christ's love. You're also bringing the power of the gospel to bear on those who desperately need his transformative power in their lives. So I challenge you, please come to impactnations.com give and make a gift today and watch as it's doubled and is poured directly into the lives of the poor. Thanks. And now back to the podcast. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. I think that that their satisfaction is an outcome of true peace-making. When I think of, frankly, when I think of the places where we've gone in the world all these years, and how often the Lord takes us out to the, the remote places, And we've walked into situations where there is no peace. We've walked into situations where there's horrible injustice, where there's there's everything you can imagine. There's there's, uh, sexual uh, oppression. There's economic oppression. There's all the things that do not make for peace. But we've gone in believing that... (laughs) That mercy is always triumphant. That as I say so many times, the whole movement of God and therefore of his creation is toward mercy and justice, love. I think of the village in Kalonga that we went into, oh golly, a long time ago now, seven years ago I think, maybe even eight, and it was horrific the domestic violence, the uh, alcoholism, the abuse of children, the starvation and begging of women and their children. But, but you see, <laughs> just suddenly remembering what, what Dr. King said, the arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. Peacemakers don't just say, well, that's just the way it is. They get into the situations and they meet and they talk. And I have had many meetings and talks in, for example, that place called Kalonga, where ultimately there's 20,000 people in the district. And it's meant practical things, but, but a highlight is, is what I've told you before, the widow's land, where we, there's now communities that have been embraced, you see. 
that this circle, as we started to talk about earlier, that, that this concept of, of peace is making a circle of inclusion and health and completion. And that's what we're doing, by the way. We're right now in seven nations because of many of you, your generosity that just keeps coming. We, we went, started this weekend into our seventh nation of bringing hope to the hopeless, of bringing food to the starving, that, that bringing shalom, peace to them. There can be no authentic peace in the midst of injustice. We cannot ignore injustice. I told you a few weeks ago, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. I'll say that again. The opposite of love is not hate. It is indifference. So there can be no authentic peace in the midst of injustice. To ignore injustice, to say that everything is fine, is to eliminate the possibility of real peace. Long ago, before he was martyred, Oscar Camaro wrote this, When I fed the poor, you called me a saint. When I asked, why are they poor? You called me a communist. The powers that be will not, will not support. They'll press against peacemaking. But you see, peacemakers are willing to try to bring reconciliation to wherever there's conflict. The more deeply we enter into the activity of peacemaking, the more the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus goes up. I'll say it again, the more deeply we enter into active peacemaking, the more the cost of discipleship goes up, whether at a family or a level or a group of friends, a church or beyond. To engage in peacemaking, we enter into the risk of misunderstanding, of animosity, of rejection. I'm sure we all have our own stories. I was, I was thinking about a couple of things that just stand out to me. A number of years ago, I had two dear friends, both godly men, and they entered into great disagreement. And I, I wrote to them, and I, I, I wrote about reconciliation. I wrote about how high the stakes were for so many people. I did all that I knew to do. I phoned them. And in both cases, my relationship was damaged. It was never the same. More than 20 years ago, I was very involved. I was on the, the board of a denomination. And there was conflict and it led to a split how we hate church splits but this was a denominational split not just one congregation and uh, I truly not just kind of that nice Christian talk I truly loved the key parties on both sides and I endeavored into peacemaking that lasted for Quite a long time. It felt like years and years and years. It was probably about two and a half years. But 
in like the first case, there was significant personal loss. So we need to be willing to enter into the risk of misunderstanding and rejection. God brought peace and reconciliation at great cost, didn't he? The cross. Should we be surprised if it costs us? Jesus said, John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So, so that's, that's a bit of a, a look at what peacemaking is, what peacemakers are. I want to say that it must begin with me. You know, the church fathers mainly focused on two aspects of peacemaking at their time, you know, from the, the second century through to, well, the ones I'm thinking of are through to about the sixth century. And they focused on peacemaking as uh, in our individual role as followers of Christ and peacemaking in the context of the fellowship of believers of the church. Many years ago, as a pastor, I learned a simple but painful truth. Why do we always learn the things through pain? And here it is. You can only give away what you have. You can't give away what you wish you had. You can't give away what you read in a book. You can only give away what you have. To try to do otherwise is at best hypocrisy and at worst is destructive to other people's lives. Before I can become a peacemaker, I must find the reality of Christ's abiding peace in me. A favorite verse for me is Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Remember what Jesus said, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. John 14.27. One of the church fathers said this, peace is the only begotten God. Peace is the only begotten God, of whom the apostle says, for he himself is our peace. That's what Paul said. St. Augustine said this, this is the steadfast peace that you ought to develop in yourself, that what is better in you may uh, be in charge of what is worse. The better part of you, moreover, is that part in which God's image is found. Gregory of Nyssa, who I enjoy very much, said this, Peace is a great treasure, not to be kept for yourself, but to overflow to others. Our own internal peace, yours and mine, is vital if we are to be authentic peacemakers. The peacemaker is the one who learns to draw from Christ's peace, from his eternal, perfect source of peace. He learns to recognize it within himself and draw from it within himself or herself. This takes us back to what I, I shared during Blessed are the Pure in Heart last week. Learning to live from the center, because that is where Christ is. Learning to live from the center, because that is where Christ is.
as I've shared with you before. Let, here's a, a few things actually to, to help you with this idea of, of learning to live from the center, learning to live from this deep abiding awareness of the peace of Christ in you and me. John 14, 20, I'm in the Father, you're in me, I'm in you. I've quoted that many times. That's turned into my prayer, part of me just centering in on who he is so that I'm operating out of deep and authentic peace. And so I pray, I pray probably every day. You're in me and I'm in you. And you're in me and I'm in you. Let this become part of your time of centering your heart. I'm trying to finish this with some practical things. I love in the Song of Solomon, I'm my beloved's and he is mine. (laughs) And his banner over me is love. That great Kevin Prosh song. But, But it, I'm my beloved's and he is mine for years now has been the core of of me centering in on Christ as I'm just settling in to be with Him. And I will pray, I belong to you and you belong to me. I belong to you and you belong to me. Often when I lead worship, it just comes out. It leads me into the intimacy of today, experientially knowing Christ and entering into His peace. Not here, but here. I shared with you, I think last week, the Jesus prayer. I I pray that all the time. This is a prayer that goes back to late third century. The early desert fathers used to pray this, and it's been carried on around the world ever since. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I talked about that last week in terms of pure in heart, focusing on who He is. You can turn the Scriptures into prayer that connects your spirit to the peace and presence of Christ. I'll just give you one example. There's who knows how many. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 3, well known. I pray that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Begin to pray through that as you focus your heart in. Lord Jesus, you're in me and I'm in you. You love me and I love you. I belong to you and you belong to me. You're my beloved. You may want to just, in your quiet time, hold on to some of the wonderful promises of Christ's nearness, because He is the Prince of Peace. He is peace. As I said earlier, the church fathers said. And He is. It's not, oh, please bring me. He just is. When He comes, He brings peace. 
Remember in Matthew 11, uh, 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. John 7, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Experience Jesus in the midst. Joseph Ratzinger, who um, was Pope Benedict, said this, Only the man who is reconciled with God and with himself can establish peace around him and throughout the world. I think that just says what I said in way fewer words. Only the man who is reconciled with God and with himself can establish peace around him and throughout the world. Peacemakers, you can only give away what you have. Well, let me briefly talk one more section, peacemaking and the community. The church fathers greatly emphasized maintaining the peace and unity of the church community when they wrote about this beatitude. And uh, I often find myself praying what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 4. He said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul understood deeply that peace was a work of the Holy Spirit, and disunity and separation are the work of the enemy and his powers. Reconciliation is the movement of God. Peacemaking is moving in his rhythm and his direction. So in this passage, we can see several characteristics necessary to be a peacemaker. He said, with all humility and gentleness, we're back to the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, or gentle, or humble. He said, uh, with patience, that's it, with patience. So we are, we're to embrace patience, again, meekness. He says, with love, we know Scripture says love covers a multitude of sins. It covers misunderstandings and mistrust. Peacemaking takes effort. It takes effort. Peacemaking means going into the situation in your community or your family or your church with a willingness to enter into the pain of listening. Sometimes you hear some very painful things. With a willingness to recognize, admit, and give up our prejudices and our preconceived notions about what the situation is or the two parties involved. It's a willingness to strive to understand both sides. And I said earlier, and if you step into peacemaking, you will run right into this. It's a willingness to risk misunderstanding, offense, ingratitude. 
So let's finish. We're going to go on next week. There's much more to say. Peacemakers are called the children of God because peace and reconciliation are at the very heart of how God moves in his cosmos, in his creation. It is it is who he is. One of the names of God is Jehovah Shalom. Peacemakers are willing to take a risk. They enter into the cost of following Jesus in a new and, and maybe higher way. Peacemakers are gentle but not weak. Peacemakers move in the world around them from a deep core of the peace of Christ. This is what overflows to others. Peacemakers refuse to be indifferent. Peacemakers refuse to sweep it under the carpet and say that's okay. Peacemakers refuse the the false comfort and security of just keeping quiet. Peacemakers speak truth. Often they speak truth to power. But they do it out of a place of gentleness and peace within them. They operate from this deep core of the peace of Christ. And this is what they give away. This is what flows out to others. This is what changes the atmosphere, changes the possibilities. This is what brings revelation. This is what will bring change at a time where I believe we need great change. Next week, I'm going to talk to what it means to be a peacemaker in the world around us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We always love you. We always need you. God, would you give us grace to, to look over our shoulder at the, at the earlier rungs on the ladder, the Beatitudes. Would you give us grace to go deep and let them challenge us? Lord, would you give us grace to embrace peacemaking out of that poverty of spirit and mourning and meekness? Lord, give us grace. We love you, Jesus. Well, that wraps this episode of the Impact Nations podcast. Do be sure to tune in again next week for part two of Blessed Are the Peacemakers. In the meantime, please head to impactnations.com slash give and make your gift today that's going to be doubled and again is going to absolutely transform lives in places like India, Uganda, Kenya, Haiti, the Philippines. So many will be blessed by your gift. impactnations.com slash give. Thanks. Have a great week.